Hello, welcome to the Equippers International Podcast. We are in Hebrews chapter 13. In today's episode, I'm going to read verses 15 through 19. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. The writer has just finished in the previous verses, we looked at it in the previous episode, to encourage very strongly these New Testament Jewish believers to identify with Christ and that their form of worship now under the New Covenant was a spiritual worship. It was not a worship connected to the physical tabernacle, to the physical temple in Jerusalem. It was a worship that is in the spirit. It's in a new place. It's in a better place. And so so the writer is making this strong contrast. And in verse 15, he encourages them to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God with the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So it's just the simplicity of worshiping God and giving him thanks for all that he has done. You know, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when I read these verses, when they have a discussion about the form of worship. And she says, says a Samaritan, you know, we worship on this mountain and the Jews worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, you know, the day is coming and now is where God is calling for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And you'll neither worship on this mountain or that place. And so God has moved the place of worship outside of a physical expression into our hearts. And in that place, we can offer up our sacrifices of praise and also, verse 16, sacrifices of doing good and sharing with other people. For these are the sacrifices that God is pleased. You know, the scripture even says, we saw it earlier in this book, that God actually didn't even want a sacrifice. What he wanted more than anything was to prepare a body for himself. Through Christ Jesus, God has prepared a family. He has prepared a group of sons and daughters who will carry his life and live lives of sacrifice, of praise to him, and doing good to other people. And these are the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Now, in verse 17, he goes into the attitude toward their leaders. And I want to spend just a few minutes in this episode and kind of dissect this verse a little bit because it's always been a bit of a hot topic because this verse is used very much in churches and in ministry to promote people's obligation to obey their leaders. And I've seen it over and over again. This can be a very dangerous thing if it's taken out of context. 
context because you see a lot of abuse happen. I would suspect that if you would find any number of Christians who had been disillusioned in their Christian faith and you ask them, why have they walked away in some regards to going to church or to being more vibrant in their faith relationship with God? And a large percentage of them will tell you that they had a negative experience with leadership, that leadership was too overbearing, that they were too controlling, and that they insisted on them obeying to the place where they felt their consciences were violated. And oftentimes, this particular verse is used to promote that type of stance. Now, I know that there's a lot of good leaders out there, but I just want to pick apart this verse and just give us some better understanding of really what the heart of the New Testament is, and especially this verse in regards to leadership. Now, he starts, verse 17, by saying, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, quite frankly, from a translation standpoint, from the original language, this is a bad translation. This translation of this word, obey, is never translated this way anywhere else in Scripture. It is used many times, and ironically, it's used in the very next verse. In verse 18, he says, Pray for us. For we are sure, that's the verb, we are convinced. It's the same verb that's used in the book of Acts when Paul was sharing with King Agrippa. And Agrippa says, Paul, you are about to convince me to become a believer. So this word is used many times in the New Testament, and it always conveys this idea of being convinced, of being persuaded, or being sure, or being convicted. So what is the writer saying if we translate this same word in the previous verse, in verse 17? He's not saying obey. That word obey is a very strong directive verb that's used many times in Scripture, and it is about obeying. Children obey. Obey your parents. When Jesus spoke to the storm, the wind and the waves obeyed him. They came up under his authority and they did exactly what he said to do. But this is not the verb that's used in verse 17. The verb is to be convinced, to be sure, to be persuaded. So let's read it in a way that would be a proper translation. Verse 17, be persuaded and convinced by your leaders and then submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. What is he saying? He's saying that any submission, any coming under leadership will always be preceded by their behavior that convinces and persuades a person that they have their best interest at heart. So I tell people all the time, if leaders cannot convince you that their hearts are for you, that their hearts are for your good and your better, then don't ever submit to them. We're never called to carte blanche, submit to other people. We submit unto the Lord. And in that relationship with the Lord, with one another, if I'm convinced that another person who is walking in leadership around me has the right heart and has convinced me that they're walking in a place that they want to bring life to all those other people around them, then I will gladly listen to them and I will gladly bring myself up under them as a leader.
leader because I know and I am convinced in my heart that they have the right motive. So this is the litmus test for leadership. It's not an absolute obedience. It's always in the relational context of being convinced and persuaded that those who claim leadership around us in any capacity have a great responsibility to prove to others around them that they have their best interest at heart. And he goes on to say that the burden lies upon those who say they're leaders. They need to do it with joy and not with grief. You know, I hear leaders so often bemoaning the process of leading other people and they do it with grief in their heart as though it's some type of burden that they're carrying. And the writer says this will not be profitable for you. Now, he's not talking to the leader. He's talking to the people that are being led. And I see this all the time. People that are being led by leaders who don't do it with joy and don't have the right attitude in their hearts, it is very detrimental and unprofitable for those who are being led. So this is a very strong exhortation to leaders to have the right attitude. It is an exhortation to those who are being led, but it's more focused toward the leaders and their responsibility to persuade those around them that they're walking with the right motives in their heart. And then in verse 18, he says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So the writer is saying, we're demonstrating this attitude, and your leaders around you should also demonstrate this attitude. He says, we're confident, we're persuaded in our own hearts, in our own conscience, that we desire to be honorable in everything that we do. So he ends these verses with this encouragement to urge them to do this, to have this attitude and to be honorable in all things as they lead among the church in Jerusalem. And he ends verse 19 by saying, I desire to be restored to you the sooner. He wants to come to Jerusalem and visit them, but he's not sure that there'll be time or opportunity to do that. So he's ending this letter with a strong exhortation that in the meantime, those who lead and the relationship between leaders and followers in the church would be healthy and honorable in every respect. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.